FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome to Castaway on the 9th of December 2020, the infamous year of uh, commodities and everything else has happened. So why don't we dive straight in? Uh, we've got Tom and Kerry with me again this week. Uh, but what has happened in the news? Well, there's still no agreement between the EU and the UK on Brexit. Uh, the British Prime Minister is going over for a face-to-face meeting to try and break the deadlock. The first vaccinations were conducted in the UK against coronavirus and the largest planned vaccination in the NHS's history. Joe Biden appointed the first ever African-American Defence Secretary uh, in retired General Lloyd Austin. Uh, the US put sanctions on 14 Chinese officials over a crackdown in Hong Kong. The US pushed towards a new stimulus bill that could be agreed soon. And Mount Everest grew by nearly a metre after China and Nepal agreed a new official height for the world's highest peak. Zambia defaulted on its debt after it missed a $40 million payment in October. And the ECB will announce Thursday its plans to boost economic stimulus efforts. Why don't we move on to our indexes and scene? We have seen some significant movements this week uh, on oil and products. Brent, we've seen a, a 3% move up. Uh, this is Tuesday the 1st versus Tuesday the 8th yesterday. 47.42 to 48.84. Sing 380 has been up uh, down 1%. Down to 285.17 yesterday. Uh, the ROT 3.5% high sulfur fuel oil. As up 3.27% to 268.75. Sing 0.5 down 3.66% to 352 quarter. Rot 0.5 up 7.88% to 366.78. And the Sing High 5 uh, has pushed up again. Now is at 81.61, the implied value between the index values of the flat price and the Rot equivalent up 4.08% at 83. Uh, Kerry, what are we seeing on the indexes for the dry freight? Continued move down. The Cape Size 5 TC at 10607 yesterday. That's down $1,725 or 16.2% week on week. Uh, whereas the Panamax 4 TC at 10759 That's down 598 bucks or 5.3% week on week. And Tom, we've seen some significant moves up on the iron ore. <laughs> yeah, carnage, Chris. I think there's a... Um... Everest has been made higher. Uh, Similar on the iron ore market as well. 65% was at $144.55 last week, and it's now at $161.45, so up 11.69%. And the 62 was trading $133.05 this time last week, uh, and is now just shy of $150, so up 12.7%. significant move to uh, report this week and talking of significant moves we have some uh, big numbers on the tankers as well tc2 uh, has moved 13 percent up to 79.44 tc5 up 19 and a quarter percent to 90.71 t3c that's the arab gulf to china the main crude route up 16 percent to 34.13 and the td25 uh that is up or down, sorry, 34.5%. So big moves on the indexes to report. And we're going to go into all of the reasons why this is happening. And as the main story, and quite incredible numbers, Tom, we'll start with you on the iron ore. And how are we seeing these big movements? What is actually happening? Um, well, chatting to some people in the market the last week or so, I mean, the fundamental picture hasn't really changed in the last week. Um 
you know, supply and demand seems to be relatively balanced at the moment. Maybe steel demand is marginally worsened across the course of the last week. Um, but the sort of big news um, over the course of the last seven days, obviously, there's the sort of um, heightening tensions between Australia and China, and that you know that's really escalated after the last uh, over the last week um, with the sort of wolf warriors in China really upping their sort of upping their upping their game, upping the rhetoric um, with the sort of releases of the. Uh, images or fake images uh, of the sort of Australian soldier beating or killing a, an, Af, an Afghan citizen. Um, so that's sort of heightened things there and obviously put some fears into the market about what had obviously been said before was that iron ore would be very much excluded from any sort of trade escalation. But if it gets really bad, I think the, you know, the thought gone out and does that really hold or does it move over onto iron ore at any point? As we've said, you know, they're both mutually entirely codependent on, on each other for that. Um, so you, you would you would think that it doesn't progress that far. But, you know, I think there's definitely some jitters in the market around that, um, which has sort of helped drive it up a little bit. Um, I think it was as we were recording last week or just before as well, Vale cut production targets for this year. And that's not a surprise this year. Um, but um, they cut forecasts for next year as well, which I think um, people probably weren't anticipating. Um, so targets for this year was 300 to 305 million tonnes, uh, which is a reduction from where they already reduced to uh, of their 310 range uh, or target. And next year they're targeting 315 to 335, which is a bit of a sort of 15% reduction on what people have been targeting before so that sort of fed into the market a little bit as well but i think the main takeaway is that the chinese government uh or CISA um had uh announced that um over the course of three days so deck fourth through seventh um there'd been a big market inspection of illegal trading um and that put some serious jitters through the market. A lot of long positions that I think were accused of being market manipulation were closed out on the January contract and moved onto the May contract as the contract rolled as well. So there was a huge sort of <clears throat> push north on the back of this noise coming out of the regulators in China around market manipulation. Um, uh, which I think is the principal reason for for this massive spike. Um, yeah, there's been a yeah, a fear that if the regulator really cracks down, people will be forced to close out, um, uh, and then a lot of money exits the market, um, and people are not going to be able to close out bids or when they're looking for bids or offers. Uh, and you know, the, the liquidity shift from Jan to May uh, has really sort of exacerbated that as well. Um, so. It's very much the market's been squeezed, I think, on that news this this week um, and amplified anything else that was going on in the background from a sort of actual market perspective or a fundamental iron ore perspective um, that the big story is that market manipulation and it's it's definitely sent a few shockwaves through the market. Um, Tom, just to interject here, I mean, that is a little bit different than what we've seen in the past when the regulators have traditionally announced these kind of... Uh, yeah interventions as you say usually leads to money flowing out of the market and therefore actually yeah. leads to a lot of longs being closed out so was it purely 
poor timing by the regulator, essentially, to do this at the time of the roll that ended up driving further up. So, because we, uh, from, yeah, from chatting to a couple of people over the last couple of days, it, it, the, I think the assertion is that this manipulation wasn't just over deck four through seventh. It had been going on all through November, by the sound yeah. of things. Um, and they finally decided to do something about it. I think maybe, yeah, it did get too pointed across that sort of, um, you know, the beginning of this week. Uh, well, when the if they were to actually intervene, as you say, it would actually cause a, 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 yeah. a downward, a sharp downward move in the, in the But I think because people were rolling onto the May contracts, um, where you know, so the, the DCE, you know, the Dalian, it doesn't trade actively in every single month like uh, other you know, international uh, or offshore exchanges do. So the liquidity is very much concentrated into particular tenors uh, and it does create a massive market or it can create a massive market squeeze if everyone tries to roll their positions at the same time. And, and yeah, I think it, it, it is a massive timing impact uh, on that. Um, with this uh and you know they were you know, people were needing to get out of positions sellers were wanting to exit uh buyers were wanting to exit there were no offers anywhere in sight i think the other point as well is that with what's going on in the coal market um with regards australia and no australian tonnage moving into china other parts of southeast asia have taken that up but yeah. i think that there is sort of a a bit of a feeling that well if we can't get money into the coffers in Australia through coal, then we'll get it in through iron ore. And I think, it, and this is just assertion, but it's been mentioned a couple of times that, you know, that I think prices on the physical are being jacked up maybe a little bit because they, they're making up for yeah. um, loss on the coal side as well. So I, I think it is just a sort of perfect storm this week of just amplification um, of what's been going on. Uh, and that is very much reflected in those sort of crazy, crazy numbers up. I mean, normally the first couple of weeks of December are pretty muted, pretty quiet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we were, I think, all expecting that on the back of a very quiet October and November. Like if you looked at the, the volatility, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on Iron Ore, it had really, really reduced um, and moved well away from its sort of normal 35%-ish range um to something you know very very flat uh and now it's you know it's it's gone absolutely bonkers again so yeah i think a lot of people i think liquidity is probably quite thin as well like a lot of people have sort of started to shut down for the year books are closed so therefore you know again any aggressive move gets amplified when the liquidity is when liquidity is thin and i think that's probably been the case as well albeit people have probably had to pile back in now to cover um, because the moves have been so severe. Okay. And Tom, Tom, to bring it back to the Australian ban, has, yeah. has there been any actual official government word yet apart from whispers and ears? Beyond what we uh, talked about before, no, it's still you know, a war of words at the moment. Yeah, yeah it's a political spat that could definitely uh, <clears throat> open the into both of the faces, as you said, because they're so interdependent on each other for that. But no, Australia... On that, um, the, the Chinese did allow a um, 
a coal cargo to discharge into China last week. Um, I don't know if there were any, we, we, could, we couldn't find out much more about it, but they, I don't know if there were any special circumstances around it, but some, some Aussie coal was offloaded into China last week, one, one vessel. Um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, nothing firm basically, because that, that happened last week. And with these mass, big moves up on the, on, the, on the prices, on the indexes that we've seen, do you think the part of that is about what I'm going to probably talk about as well in the oil markets is this kind of vaccine positivity? Um, I think maybe some of that is flowing through a little bit in, on the sort of thought that some demand from elsewhere in the world other than China flows through into the market. Um, but but I, I think that is, you know, that's premature for anything that's, you know, being priced in in Q1. Uh, Q2. You know, it would make sense if the back of the curve was ramping steeply, uh, and the and the sort of front was staying roughly where it is. But it's you know it's all it's a lot of action, and obviously it, it does flow through. But it, I think because so much of it is Chinese demand, um, I think it's probably less of a story in iron ore than it is in in the oil market or in in the other commodity markets. I definitely think that you know there is a sort of positive. Um, spin and positive attitude uh, being put on things that will definitely have flown through to the markets this week yeah cool all right thank you tom for that update kerry why don't we move on to the dry freight what's happening there well i would actually like to quote word for word from our own cape team who described the market thus in a daily report last week two years ago an installation artist left large lumps of glacial ice on the streets so passersby could witness them slowly melting over a period of a few weeks this is very much how the Cape market is going, except there isn't the upside of bringing awareness to the issue of global warming. And I think that uh, Walsh, written a week ago, could just as well apply to the market today. That daily slow bleed continues with a big ship shedding another 16% week on week. Uh, this is pretty much down to that lack of movement from Brazil. There was a big, big miss from Vale's exports, obviously. Um, and in fact, I believe Brazilian exports were down about 1.2 million tons week on week last week. Um, so, you know, that revision downwards at the last minute of their annual guidance, whilst not an entirely surprising revision, you know, does signal um, a, a big miss in terms of shipments. And so that's been starting to bite together with the ongoing issue of slower Aussie coal exports. Um, even despite a fairly active CFAR, C5 West Aussie China market, uh, with half a dozen fixtures yesterday, rates were still drifting downwards even on that uh, to mid six dollars uh, per metric ton by the end of the day. It is worth noting the paper seems to have found a bit of a floor in the last few days. The Jan contract's been bouncing off its lows of around nine thousand in the last three seconds to trade up to nine five fifty value this morning. And the Q1 similarly has been finding a floor in Region 8K with the value this morning, 8,450. The Panamaxes, though, they've been an almost opposite story with a sluggish physical market towards the end of last week, offset by a very optimistic paper market that kept things churning along. Uh, and although inquiry had slowed towards the end of the week last week in the Atlantic, a surprisingly firm start to this week has lifted sentiment with tonnage, tonnage off the continent beginning to look tight. Uh, while well, the Pacific seems to be holding its own, despite uh, a fairly quiet East Aussie market. So the paper's actually been on the upswing for the last four sessions with that Q1 contract trading up from a low last Wednesday of 7,700 to a value of 9,225 this morning. And according to our FIS Live app, uh, breaking above that upper Bollinger Band at 8,966. So that's one to watch. 
Uh, Kevin, just to bring it back to Brazil, and it's something that we focused on last week in mm-hmm. our Brazil special. So if any of the listeners haven't listened to that yet, you can check out episode 35, which is our Brazil special uh, with Roberto, who's from the uh, UK Brazilian Embassy. Um, it's, it's interesting you talk about the, the drops in terms of Vale's production. Uh, it seems somewhat odd at a, a time with such high iron ore prices. You think they'd be trying to get as much out the door as they can, and then that would be supporting rates. I think they were trying to get as much out of the door as they can as they could, and we we know that over the summer they even did so to the point of um, dropping the quality slightly on some of their shipments just to get every available ton um, to the dock and on the ship. Um, I think that there is some ongoing maintenance uh, going on at uh, at the Vale loading terminals, which uh, which has slowed things down a bit. But ultimately, you know, it's a, it's a matter of how fast they can dig it out of the ground, and, and they just don't seem to be meeting their their original targets this year. It's worth noting as well, it sounds like a slight revision down from sort of 310 to 320 to, to 300 to 305, but taking that you know 15 million tons off the market has a very big effect coming this late in the year um, you know, in terms of Cape size shipments. So, so you know, it's... Uh, well, if you actually um, dig into what they were saying uh, about their forecast for next year, um, you know, some of it, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about lowering carbon emissions over the next the next years, um, and I think that there's going to be a move to try and get to cleaner mining, and maybe some of those mines that um, are currently in in action are not able to sustain that. But also the the weather next year, um, I, I think it's it's a El Nino uh, forecast for Brazil next year, um, which uh, will make it particularly right. difficult. Um, to, to produce uh, as much as they were hoping to. So there should be significantly, like the, I think the rain that we've had this year that has been difficult, I think they're forecasting that to be particularly, uh, you know, a lot worse than they've had it this year, which would obviously make it difficult. That's a very good point. Cool. Thank you, Kerry. Well, moving on to oil and products. Um, it seems that uh, everyone's in a race to get to 50 bucks on uh, Brent this morning. We're seeing... We saw some really decent buy clips in terms of volume go through at uh, 8 a.m. UK time this morning. Um, we are basically at that $50 value now. Um, we've seen that kind of slow, steady climb up in price uh, since the news of the vaccines. And it's definitely looking like we will probably enter 2021 uh, in the $50 a barrel Brent. And if you kind of think back to uh, April when we had all those news stories uh, of the, I think it was the biggest or quickest drop in 125 years on, on oil prices. You had negative WTI prices and somehow it has managed to claw its way back to these levels. So I think that's quite, quite extraordinary way to end of the year. I think if we were sitting here in April saying, oh, it could be 50 bucks at the end of the year, you probably would not be, a betting man would not take that bet. Uh, in terms of structures and interesting things we've seen happen, uh, the FOGOs are continuing to drop off again. That's the difference between uh, fuel oil and their equivalent gas oils. This is uh, especially true in Singapore, which we've seen move down some six bucks uh, today versus uh, a week ago. And that has really impacted on the, the kind of Singapore flat price uh, on the 0.5%. We've seen that weakness in the, in the same 0.5%, even though the fundamentals look kind of stable. Uh, we've seen uh, the Contango spread still at minus 50 cents on those front on the Jan Feb uh, time spread. Uh, so it's somewhat similar to the iron ore where the fundamentals haven't necessarily changed, but that's seen a weakening. But the whole 
crude structures moved up, but the fuel prices themselves have seen that weakness because of that spread to the to the gasol. Um, but it is good to see some liquidity returning to the market. Uh, Platt's uh, market on close assessment process uh, showed that the uh, Singapore surged 69.8% month on month to 11.34 barrels in November. And that was actually the majority of those uh, were comprised of high sulfur fuel oil. So, yeah, we've seen quite low volumes if you compare historically uh, through, the, through much of this year, especially the middle part of the year. So it is definitely good for the market generally to see those volumes start to return. Total volume of high sulfur fuel oil swaps traded uh, in the Singapore MOC, this is again from the, the Platts data, uh, soared 168.6% from October wow. to November. Uh, accounting for 83% of the overall trade volume. So you know, that's really significant on the on the high sulfur fuel oil stuff. Some other news to keep an eye on. Uh, everyone's going to keep their eye on OPEC Plus and what they're trying to do. In Obviously, they had that cut agreement. Uh, it's been in existence for a long time. They, it's it, All the questions are how the hell do they get out of that without impacting too much on, on prices. They have agreed an initial uh, cut to their cut of uh, 500,000 barrels in January. So we've obviously seen the prices push up. That news has already been released. The market seems to have already thought about that and absorbed that into prices. So interestingly, we, we are continuing our, our move up, even though uh, they are cutting by five or cutting the, the cut by 500,000. I think initially that was going to be higher. So it's been taken as positive news, even though on the surface you think, well, it will be increasing supply to the market. So how can that be pushing prices up? Other things to look at, um, Iraq expects its 2021 budget uh, to be based on a price of $42 a barrel. So you can see where their heads are at in terms of pricing, uh, 50 bucks basically now going into the end of the year. So looking at the next year, they're clearly going to see or thinking or basing their pricings on the fact that this cut to OPEC plus or increasing supply we've discussed previously about Libya coming back online since the ceasefire there and there'll be other countries uh we had the previous discussion on opec and how actually compliant they are with the cuts because they can say we'll cut this amount seven million barrels or so yet how are they actually going to be doing that are they actually delivering on those so i think a lot of these will be playing into where people are putting those prices we talked news story two weeks ago about uh, the head of veto in the news saying that he expects we're going to hit 50 bucks at the end of this year and lo and behold there we are uh Iran as well is preparing to raise uh, oil exports. And this is clearly going to be a big part of uh, foreign policy for Joe Biden as president, how he's going to deal with Iran. We discussed news-wise that they are continuing their program, a nuclear program. What can he do in terms of negotiations to go, we can relieve sanctions here, allow more exports of oil, yet you need to keep a lid on, on a nuclear program. What comes out of those negotiations? Because he was a big part of, and uh, you know, his supporters and like John Kerry was a big part of those initial 2015 nuclear agreements, as well as his European allies. So that will definitely be something to keep an eye on coming into Q1 as he starts to assert his presidency and his foreign policy. So some food for thought, but in essence, people are definitely pushing up on the positive news of the vaccine, which has driven up prices and 50 bucks going into the end of the year. It's enough to make me wonder if any other governments follow the Mexican government, who I believe cleared a, a cool two and a half billion on uh, on their oil hedges. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> try and protect their income. Um, uh, so 
world. The Mexican government does have some horror stories in its locker, though. So <laughs> <laughs> from its hedging program. <laughs> so. No, well, good, well done, Mexico. Good for Mexico uh, in terms of their hedge. That's played out fantastically if you're doing it in the middle of the year, for sure. Um, but anyone else, who knows what next year brings? But at the moment, it seems that we are going into Q1 somewhat more positive than we were in April. That's uh, fact. Um, <laughs> last bit of news is on the wet for phase. We did point out in the indexes uh, at the start of the podcast, we've seen some significant moves up. Uh, with most of the routes week on week, the free front curve is up quite a bit, especially seeing TC5 debt going pretty well bid at the start of, of this week. TD25, we saw a pretty Thanksgiving spike, uh, which has obviously pushed prices up so much for everyone getting their business uh, before that long holiday, because it's a big US market. TD25 is US China. Uh, so, But now you're seeing that kind of regress back to normal levels, and we're actually much closer to Avril average levels for the past month so it was a pre-spike which has now dropped back hence the significant drop off here in that index reported 34.5 percent off uh, but as we currently stand it's looking to be as well a, a strong end to uh, a topsy-turvy year for the, the tanker market um, somewhat strong uh, similar to to the oil markets that we're seeing too so there we are any final points guys before we finish for this week no i think that's it um from my end, uh, looking forward to uh, next week's yearly roundup episode. Yes, and that brings me on to the announcement nicely. <laughs> we have a special final episode of the podcast for the year. We're doing 12 commodities of Christmas, and we'll be joined by the uh, fantastic full team as we go through all our commodities, our usual weekly roundup, and then going through the yearly review of uh, 12 Commodities of Christmas. So do f do join us again next week for our final episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to the Brazil episode, as we mentioned earlier, then do go check that out. Uh, apart from that, guys, Tom, Kerry, thank you very much for joining me. And to listeners, do listen next week. Cheers, gents. Cheers. Have a good one.